Welcome back to Community Votes, your eco-feminist show on KMRE 102.3 FM. Today we are talking about air quality and the climate crisis with Jill Mangaleman and Edgar Franks. How's everybody doing? It's been pretty smoky this weekend, yeah? Yeah, I, I was actually in um, Portland um, doing the, uh, we call it Lakad for Bayan Nihan. It was a, a, a community walkathon um, to highlight the issues of indigenous Filipinos and, and fundraise for the local Bayan Nihan Center in Portland. Um, unfortunately, it was really muggy and smoky. Uh, definitely felt um, pretty crappy afterwards um, and had to, had to like hydrate. Um, but yeah, it was also very ominous. We saw the sun, it was bright red. <laughs> so definitely in Portland, um, we're feeling the effects of the uh, wildfire smoke. How about you guys? Um, yeah, here in uh, in Skagit County, it was pretty bad. Um, um, on Friday evening, I had to go and help my son start. He's going to start going to school in Seattle. Um, so he's moving over there. So in the evening, I was over there in Seattle for a bit. And you can just tell the, like, the haze. I mean, you can tell just like, I mean, the skyline and everything like that. You can just looks like a big haze. Um, I mean, you could smell it too. Um, that morning driving back, it was also um, kind of like in the Everett area. There was heavy traffic and you can kind of see the ash like you know, your stop so you can actually see like ash landing on your windshield and stuff like that. So it was kind of, it was kind of scary. Um, and again, just, just how like thick the smoke was. And I, from what I was reading, it was like, a, not even, was it a wildfire that was in California that was smoke from uh, the wildfire from California initially. Oh, dang. And then there was wildfires that came to be here in Washington, like, over the that span so it was just you know very intense and very you know visible um all that smoke and and that haze so yeah it gave out a a weird eerie feeling in the evening um, yeah, almost yeah. like apocalyptic so it was kind of it was kind of strange yeah and with the full moon too that visual yeah. um eerie but yeah i think they're like originally the fires weren't so close but then um there's one over in the Wenatchee National Forest area and then on Friday or Saturday one started up in Index area and that one went really quick and now there's one burning in Chilliwack so definitely um in Washington state they're sort of coming from all directions but that's wild I wonder if the ash that you experienced was from the Index fire because that's closer to where you were at but um mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's pretty disorienting, honestly. Both days, Saturday, Sunday, the air quality was considered dangerous to be outside. Um, but of course, we know people have to be outside for various reasons, uh, primarily work-related, but also people trying to get to and from where they need to be, right? So I think it's pretty unrealistic to just put out a notice that says, don't go outside. Um, and up here, we know we, we got some videos from workers of the pumpkin fields and Skagit and also the blueberry fields. And it was like just orange gray sky. Uh, but folks are out working still. Yeah. I, I actually didn't, <clears throat> I didn't really hear about it. Um, I, I heard it by word of mouth initially, like on Friday that the, the air quality was terrible. And then I started to see some things 
hop online around um like from the Duwamish River Cleanup Coalition were popping up and front and center were putting some notice. Um and then yeah, the I saw the video from FUJ. So I, I don't think there was much I, I don't know about y'all, but I didn't see much news about it at all. Um and so there's also like the public notice or public health um information that didn't quite get out. Um and I, I'm just curious because like in the past, um, you know, it was a big deal or, you know, the governor governor would like call like call a press conference or something. But yeah, if I my cousin didn't tell me about it, I wouldn't have known or if I didn't check my social medias. Yeah, we just rely on the weather app on our phone, honestly. <laughs> so but I was thinking about that this morning, especially because last week. Um, we were talking about going to the governor's mansion and asking for some dialogue um, with him and his staff around climate emergency. And then just days later, um, this is another example, right? I know that some fires were started by lightning, others by like people made um, incidents, but, you know, it's one of the things that we see every summer. This summer, it feels like it's kind of later than last year, but um yeah, it's like, what's the plan? So I thought maybe I just missed it. Like, but I don't know. Did the governor say anything? <laughs> Do y'all know? They did release some kind of statement, I think. But again, uh, when it came to declaring a climate emergency, they're like, oh, we're not ready for that yet. You know, there's, again, the LNI people also were like, oh, you know, this, we're going to have a public process to for people to comment on rulemaking and make these rules permanent stuff like that um but as is i don't think there's been any uh real movement on it other than just kind of like like broad statements like that um i know that uh lni and those heat rule heat and wildfire and the smoke rules mm, all those emergency protocols that are um um are supposed to be followed by employers in agriculture um we far exceeded like the air quality index stuff that was recommended by even their own rules, which I think uh, <clears throat> last time we checked, it was at 69 AQI for air quality index. Like that's when the emergency protocols um, were supposed to kind of be followed, you know, like the brakes and uh, moving people around or stopping work altogether or moving work indoors, you know, finding like different things or giving out PPE and, and all that. So, and then, you know, this week, I think we we're reading, like, I mean, you, I think you had mentioned it, Liz, that in Seattle, in some areas, it was like the worst air quality in the world in Seattle. Yeah. It was three times what, um, because you said it was in the 60s. Yeah. 69 so, AQI. And it was like 189. Wow. It's, been, it's deep into the danger zone for every person. So I'm just wondering about the rollout, because if the rule is in the 60s, we know that didn't happen in Whatcom Skagit County anyway. Um, we had uh, a member of FUJ going out, offering to bring people masks from CTC FUJ. But in terms of like work stoppage, I didn't hear about that happening at all. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a two-part concern is like the rules aren't um, good enough, but then they're also not implemented in, <clears throat> in real life, right? Yeah. And I think uh, that's kind of the big issue, um, especially in agriculture. Um, like, like to say, like, what's the point where it's too dangerous to people to even continue work? 
Um, and I think it's still like very much like, oh, well, we have to work no matter what. And I think it also um, puts workers in this position as well, because a lot of people depend on working throughout the summer for their economic um, well-being. Um, and any days off can affect, you know, their their um, their whole lives, like paying rent or buying food and childcare, or gas or whatnot. So any disruption of that also becomes a, a heavy um, a heavy thing for workers. So they're also put in this position where, like, oh, well, I have to work, even if it's like super smoky outside and can affect my breathing and my lungs and my my health. Um, and that's something that we've come across here in the union of how do we like, how we advocate for these things and then all like, like hold, hold like to our values, but knowing that workers, a lot of workers still want to be out working. So I think that's like the balance that we're, we're trying to play here. Um, and again, I think this is why we've been calling for, um, that, there's got to be part of the responsibility of the government and in the industry is how to find ways that workers are still alive and still being able to um, make ends meet. Um, if if there's not like total like system change, like immediately, like, okay, so what are you going to do to like mitigate some of that? Right. Like, is there any discussion of giving workers paid time off when these health emergencies are happening? Not that I know of, no. That would really make the difference between like going to work or not in dangerous conditions, right? It's really about you need that money for your family. So that's a really, uh, it's an unfair risk to ask that people judge for themselves, like, because that's not realistic. Like, I'm, you know, I've seen in some of the rules, like if you feel, if you feel dehydrated or if it's too hot or whatever that puts it all on the worker to be like, well, is it worth it? You know, if I, how much money am I going to lose if I take care of myself? Yeah. And I think a lot of the rules, even, um, especially related to like L and I, um, put all the onus on the workers to kind of, to do a lot of that, that work of like taking care of themselves and, even employee manuals are like, oh, well, you like, you know, like it's all about like what you do and not really talking, addressing like what's the responsibility of of employers in that sense. So it's always like trying to like shift it back to like um, to the employee and like that's their decision. But, you know, some of those decisions kind of like where it's out of the workers hands. And actually it's that it has a lot to do with like people that are like in power and can make like even like decisions that are like that can totally alter everything so um yeah i think that i think this is like why we do what we do um especially going with the governor like he has the system has all these tools that they can use but they don't want to despite all the data in front of them so um not even the data there's just like reality in front of you so um, I think we have to just keep pushing, keep pushing and like bringing out our ideas and until they get listened to. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's so 
it's so fascinating how you know the governor and 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 government officials will celebrate essential workers but when it comes to protecting their health and protecting their rights like pretty quiet pretty uh uh not not really you know backing them up in these especially times of crisis and we actually um it was uh last month right with uh, community to community and and families in Nuda Sport Justicia we had that um press conference um in Olympia and marched to the governor's mansion to demand he uh call for a climate emergency and people have been calling for an emergency for such a long time and being that he is a self-proclaimed you know climate champion governor um it only makes sense that he would be the the first governor to call for a, a climate emergency um to really put seriousness on this this situation that we're in um considering how many lives are at risk but we have yet to hear any real movement from his administration um unless uh, folks have heard any updates but I, I i haven't really seen him take action as a climate so-called climate champion i know maybe jill um i know like was it yesterday or on this weekend that seattle approved the green new deal kind of stuff do you think and i think part of it was also like giving the mayor um, in the city, like certain powers of like declaring climate emergencies and putting funds away to kind of to like a resilience fund and fund projects and also like phasing out fossil fuels. Um, do you know anything like that? Maybe is that like you think something that the governor would be able to like pay attention to and use as a model for Washington state? Well, we know that, yeah, people on the ground, are, are that's where the real uh, pushing and the change is going to happen, you know. A lot of these groups, I, I remember when we first held the uh, a Green New Deal um, rally. This is pre-pandemic. We've been calling for a Green New Deal. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it really the it's the community and the grassroots uh, groups that are are going to push um, until the these leaders at the top actually do something. But it may take many, many cities um, similar to like the the fight for 15 or the, you know, um, a lot of these progressive laws start at the city and local levels. And, you know, hopefully they they get in, they pay attention, but we can't rely on them. Right. We I think um, people are going to push locally. Mm -hmm. I, I remember uh, when I was still at Got Green that, you know, there was talks about Green New Deal in the county level um, in King County. Knowing that there's a lot of um, immigrant and, and and people of color communities, I I, I was just thinking about that um, this weekend, um, especially as my my asthma was flaring up this weekend with all the smoke, all the all the uh, folks who live next to extraction sites and have the environmental justice uh, health issues, um, having it more exasperated by the smoke. So, yeah, the locals, a uh, local. Um, uh, administrations, local cities can really take action if the governor doesn't, you know, um, we see that everywhere also happening in different cities as well. Yeah, I think a lot does depend on the motivations of um, local elected officials, mayors and whatnot to get those. Because um, I know like here in Whatcom County anyway, they always go like, oh, well, the governor's office or the AG's office or whatever. But it's like that can take so long. We're at the local level. Like I know that. Um, here in Bellingham, there were some organizations asking for some relief, maybe some kind of sheltering for the houseless folks who are here because we have thousands of people who live outside 
And um, those are kind of things that localities could just put in place right away. Like here's a safe place you could go inside. Um, we didn't get that unfortunately over the weekend, but always there's that hope that, okay, now that we've seen this emergency, like same with floods, same with all these things, what's a plan that's in place to keep people safe for the next one? Cause we know definitely wildfires um, and probably again, more like flooding and stuff coming into the winter. These are things that unfortunately are sort of known quantities and then will likely get worse. And so I think it would be really good. And I think that's what for C2C, like we'll always just push like starting at the very smallest level first of like what's going on in neighborhoods and cities where um, we might not be getting answers from state level. Because the last thing I saw from the governor's office was that they were going to take a pause and give stakeholders more time to give input. And um, that just sounds like putting it off. Mm -hmm. um, further and further, whereas like a local library could open right away. I mean, that's usually where we see lives saved at the local level is if something small like FUJ and C2C giving out masks, like in the meantime is where we live, right? We're always just waiting for what the policy answer is going to be. And I think during COVID that became really apparent that sometimes the government is not going to come and or, you know, anybody's going to come. So it's up to the to the communities to take care of each other. And I think that's where, you know, I think we we're feeling the urgency um, of what's happening. I think it's also uh, kind of almost like a, I don't want to say like a study, but you know, it's like a, almost like a practice that we've, I think uh, um, have to almost like reinstitute in situations like this of, you know, taking care of our communities again. Um, I think COVID, there was like certain times in COVID, during COVID where, you know, like mutual aid groups sprung up and were like feeding people and giving out masks and hand sanitizers and redistributing resources. Kind of went away from that for a little bit, but um, maybe again with a climate crisis and environmental crisis maybe this is a, the time to kind of like remember what we've we've been doing or keeping up the work that we've been doing um of like helping each other out you know like almost like a um i don't know what you call it not like a parallel government but like you know like a like a form of like oh they will you know the government can do some things but we can also do other things like not just like oh we're, we can't we're helpless if like jay Inslee doesn't come and do something for us Jill, your expression is priceless. I just I just had this image in my head of, of Jay coming to the rescue. <laughs> and I'm like, will he? Like, I don't know. I I I'm I might sound a little uh uh jaded, but I do I do have low faith right now with some of our um you know, state leaders, especially after they pass the Climate Commitment Act, like really pushing these market, uh, market um, based solutions, so-called solutions that doesn't really reduce pollution. And then they turn around and say they care about climate justice. So I, you know, if I see them like, you know, colluding with big oil, you know, meeting with BP and then claim to care about our communities i i just see that as a double standard i i'm just like i don't think jay's gonna come save us <laughs> you know honestly I've yet we've had our me. number forever so i know we've <laughs> sat down we've talked so many times and you know i 
I think though, like people are are uh, frustrated. I I know that you know whenever I talk about state politics, people get really upset. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we I you know it goes back to like we are the ones we're waiting for. Like we can't wait for these these folks to get on on the same page with us. Like we have different values. You know, it seems like they care more about the economy continuing to make money and you know put our people more exposure and more at risk um, rather than caring about our health and our well being. Um, and that's not what the just transition's about. That's more about more sacrificing of our people. In our planet, you know, like we can't keep burning it like this. Uh, yeah, and it's about priorities, right? Like I, like nationally, how easy it is to fund a new pipeline, or um, here locally, I was just reading that our city is going to buy a second tank or like an armored um, vehicle to protect the police. It was like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something that they just came up with, even though the budget process hasn't even started yet. So then. When it comes time for um, communities who need resources for housing or food or um, healthcare, then the money's already spent on um, militarism, basically. So I think priorities are just going to be different at that level. Um, I don't know why they need a second tank. Like I've seen the tank used against community, like used against houseless people, but it seems out of scale with like whatever there's a perceived threat from community. And maybe that divide just gets wider and wider. Like the less they do, the more they have to arm themselves <laughs> against the people. Not sure, but it's um, so that I think the priority um, on a person to person level is just way different. And I guess that's where we see movement. Like when it's just like, but really what do you need right now? Like, is it safety or food or those kinds of things that we could start hopefully just providing to each other. But yeah, that's tough because like also cities and states have so much money that we know they're able to dump it out in the millions when it's something that they care about. So it's not surprising that people are frustrated. I do want to say one hopeful thing before we go to break, which is that yesterday I went to uh, the Whatcom Peace and Justice Center here just had their 20th or actually they're turning 20 this month, but yesterday they had celebration at the Pickford um, where Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz gave a keynote, which was a really cool um, history of colonialism and why we are um, deeply entrenched in militarism as a way to continue the United States basically. But um, Tina McKim, who, who is a local organizer here with the Birchwood Food Desert Fighters was given the Lifetime Peacemaker Award, which is really cool because um, Tina operates just based on neighborhoods, people who have extra food. She's been running a what she calls a share spot for years in the Birchwood neighborhood that doesn't have a grocery store. So it was cool to see that honor because she works really, really hard and um, just does it because it needs doing. And it's grown quite a bit over the last five or six years. But um, so there's always every Saturday, there's fresh food and um, toiletries and things that people need. I don't think she gets any funding. I think she's just moving resources around. Um, so congratulations to Tina. That was cool that she got that award. Okay, I think we can go to break and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Community Voice, your eco-feminist radio show on KMRE 102.3 FM. Um, I'm Liz Darrow, talking with Jill Mangaliman and Edgar Franks about air quality and climate crisis. Um, also, I'm just curious, because it's been a minute since we've talked about this, anything you two are listening to or reading or watching that um, that you can't put down? Um, I I've been reading a lot of there's this uh cool uh um online kind of research it's called a tricontinental um it's vj prashad he's an awesome author and kind of like a leftist thinker um has this institute it's called a tricontinental and every every so often they put out like um dossiers and like newsletters and stuff like that where they talk about um just different issues that are happening um and you've just been reading a lot of those kind of reports. It's really interesting because they have some on like, like, uh, like why we need new intellectuals and new ways of thinking. And um, um, they talk about actually they talk about like the Green New Deal, but like from like a Latin American perspective. And um, it's pretty interesting all the all the reports that they come out with. So yeah, we've just been reading a lot of those kinds of things. Nothing too 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 exciting actually and yesterday uh what was it anyways this weekend i had time to go to um elliot bay bookstore in seattle and was able to look at um some books also there really interesting ones and um there was one called uh that uh, 
um what's it called vagina obscura or something like that but it basically talks about like like bodies and like sexuality and stuff like that it was like really interesting so i kind of I, like I, I don't know for what reason but it caught my eye so i, I got it and i'm gonna start reading it hopefully this week as for me, I, well, I've definitely been reading the news. <laughs> I just read like whatever Washington Post or Bulatla, uh, which is a Philippine newspaper. Um, I'm actually been doing some preparations because uh, in Gabriela, we were teaching Philippine um, Society and Revolution, which is based off of a, a book of kind of like the material conditions and history of the Philippines. Um, and it was actually a banned book um, <laughs> back in the day. And very, uh, very grateful that we get to dig into it. Um, and so in preparation, I've been um, watching these YouTube videos also. In, in addition to reading PSR, I've been um, uh, watching videos of this um, historian, Kirby Aruro, uh, who is also like a cosplayer, children's book writer. His videos are really funny um, and he kind of get digs into history. I really enjoy. So there's a lot of... Um, videos uh definitely uh yeah follow him on ig or youtube because uh, his videos are really um uh, fascinating uh yeah and funny so i've been uh digging into history as of lately but um yeah and also trying to keep up with the current news because yeah there's like being in two time zones basically <laughs> past and present um to help guide like yeah know what to do in the future so oh my goodness my nose is really dripping today this is uh results of the weekend from the yeah. smoke. still recovering i guess yeah no kidding it's a weird time when you're like you don't know if it's covid or the environment or just allergies whatever it's a lot going on um we've been watching the second season of reservation dogs have you all seen that show no, but I I don't have Hulu. Is it on Hulu? It's on Hulu. Yeah. No, I've been wanting to. Marciano has it, and uh, I think it's connected here to the office Roku. So maybe I'll sneak out. I'll sneak in after work and just start watching Reservation Dogs. It's yeah, so I I saw a few episodes. I'm gonna try to catch up. Um, I just read that uh in a recent episode, the one of our local um folks from Burien uh Travis Thompson he used to be a a youth speak artist is in in the most recent episode so I'm excited to see uh some some hometown represent <laughs> oh that's amazing yeah I'll, I'll look out for him we've been we're just really enjoying it I mean it's just it's beautifully written and really well shot and really confronts um you know like indigenous youth issues obviously but then also like you're talking about keeping up with um you know, like culture of your families and also trying to like live in two spaces at once because you're kind of required to. Um, so, and that's pretty interesting, obviously in the backdrop of a place where, you know, it's not two different places. It's the same place with two different ideas about um, what to do with place and family and stuff. Um, it's pretty good. And also just super entertaining. I love, I love um, just the comedy in it and the writing is brilliant. So Highly recommend. And also I'm going to try and get my hands on uh, Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's new book, Not a Nation of Immigrants. Um, it's been out for a minute, I think, but I'm going to try and grab that one. That looks pretty neat. Um, other than that, for me, really just like Democracy Now! and John Oliver for my news, because uh, 
yeah, I don't read a lot of print media anymore, unfortunately. It's a little less accessible, you know, with paywalls and stuff. Yeah. I like when people who do have access, like uh, copy and paste, like all the article, like on a social media thing. Yeah, like 12 frames of screenshots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On They'll Twitter, actually, on Twitter, I kind of like that because they do have like a thread. They like thread the whole article. <laughs> it's And then you can see the comments and stuff. It's really, it's really interactive. I really like it. Yeah. I saw this thing yesterday about how like, there's no more like rice farms in California. I have like not given any rice this year because of the drought and lack of water and um, just the impact that's going to have on the food system and workers and the whole industry. So um, that's something I saw on Twitter. I think that's, that's why I was like, Oh yeah. So, uh, but yeah. No more rice exports. I wonder if California, it's probably primarily exports, right? Yeah. It's, it's also like, I forget that California is the world's fifth largest economy also oh dang so it's like uh you know if it was like its own country it'd be like the fifth biggest economy in the world and that's primarily agricultural right yeah so much land i guess that's why they have such a vested interest in the farm workforce modernization act (laughs) is there any updates on that have you heard anything since um you all had some action with the dignity campaign recently right um, as far as the workforce modernization, I, I think we're still waiting to see what's going to happen. There hasn't been a vote formally called, um, but I know like our our folks from California are putting pressure on Alex Padilla. Um, I think he took over for uh, Kamala Harris when yeah. she became the um, the vice president and Alex Padilla filled her seat. Um, he's like known for like a pro- being a progressive and a friend of farm workers, but there are folks from California the Dignity Campaign have been pressuring him to like really take a look at the Farm Workforce Modernization Act and like not support it. I was trying to think of a good song to recommend. You know, when we were in a Soul to Soul um, a few years ago, it was what, what was that? Tw- Soul to Solidarity to. Um, solidarity to solutions solutions there it is <laughs> solid yeah that's this foggy brain monday uh solid solidarity to solutions there was a week of action and um san francisco we actually took a bus down um fuj got green opal all these like ej groups got together in the northwest and went down there and I, I remember it was around this time of year, actually, because we were marching on my birthday on September 8th and uh, there was a lot of songs. And I'm I wish that um, our, you know, our movement can like, you know, collect all the different cultural songs and I don't know, put it on a compact disc or something, a cassette tape. You remember those <laughs> tapes we used to make? Yeah. Uh, and, but yeah, I, I, I was just trying to remember a name of a song, but I'm I'm kind of foggy brain this morning. But yeah, that that was a an experience. Um I remember uh when we traveled down there, people never experienced anything like that, you know, seeing thousands of people calling for, you know, climate justice, calling for a just transition um to change this economy to something for the that isn't gonna kill us, but you know, for the people and the planet. And 
you know, confronting corporations and the the world leaders to, you know, either do something or step aside, you know. Um, I know it was uh, Jill's also birthday party yeah. this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was awesome. 40 wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we were just talking earlier about, you know, with all these terrible things happening in the world and the importance of celebration um, and to not take for granted, right, uh, the community or each other or, um, you know, to take the time to celebrate um, victories big and small. I, I think 41 is a victory, <laughs> um, you know, and yeah, just to gather and yeah, um, support each other because uh, um, it is a it is a struggle. It is a long fight um, that we got. Uh, ahead of us and so even if it's just like gathering to you know share a couple foods and drinks and dancing uh bowling we we did bowling that was really fun I actually really want to um get better at bowling uh but yeah I I really encourage folks especially with this you know um looming <clears throat> threat of climate change um can get really heavy so to not um try, try our best not to isolate and find things to celebrate with each other um, when we can, and then get ready to roll up your sleeves and get back in the fight. <laughs> totally. I think it's energizing too, right? Because um, y'all do work so hard. So just taking a moment to pause and appreciate each other too as people and come this far. Like I'm 42 and that happened really quick. So I'm like, I bet the next 40 will be twice as fast. So yes. I'm make sure, <laughs> make sure and appreciate it with family and movement friends and um, and also like bowling is a great idea. I noticed that you had a picture of like, was that for real your mom's bowling ball? I just saw that like on social media. Was that a joke? No, it's for real. Um, so I visited my sister, um, in Portland and she brought it out. She was like, you know, our mom was a avid bowler back in the day. <laughs> she was in her twenties and thirties. And I guess when, um, so my mom, she was, a she was a graveyard shift, uh, working at uh, Rainier Bank, um, <clears throat> you know, and uh, graveyard shift mean like they get out, you know, at some ridiculous hour. But um, she and her coworkers were really, they started a bowling team. And uh, so she had this, her own bowling ball. It had her initials carved in it too. And um, I got to, I got to see it and hold the ball. I was like, wow. And so my sister, she she uses that bowling ball when she goes to the bowling alley and I was like dang okay <laughs> you know all right I, I'm gonna let's play a game next time I'm around you know um but it was it was really great to hear that I didn't know actually that she was uh uh into bowling kind of made me want to pick it up too oh, that's super cool you should get a team started up <laughs> yeah I got to get good first. <laughs> I guess we can practice more. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, sports are good. I guess, I guess bowling's a sport, you know? Totally. Yeah. I know. Like, I agree. You like to um, play basketball, right? Ben? Yeah. Every uh, Tuesday and Friday night, we get together with just like people kind of grew up with playing in the park. So. Now we get go to a gym and just play for like three hours. And it's my kind of my exercise for and fun for the week. It's pretty, it's pretty. Yeah, I got back into it just last year. 
Um, I remember just like how uncoordinated I was and I would just <laughs> fall over and my legs wouldn't move. But now can keep up more with the young guys. So it's really nice. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's also like a just a way to connect with people, right? It's fun, but it's also like you're spending real time together. Um, people sharing about their lives and also basketball is like so running intensive. It's probably great for your heart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it still waiting to find my sport. <laughs> <laughs> I try to play dodgeball in this like um group league and I immediately almost immediately was ejected because I can't catch. <laughs> so I'm like, I think I need some training, maybe take some lessons. I don't know. I love the idea, but then when it comes down to it, I'm just not very aggressive. So <laughs> <laughs> bowling though, that's not really a contact sport. I think I could do that. That's real. Um, I was trying to think, is is table tennis a sport? <laughs> yeah, it's an Olympic sport. It's an hey. Olympic event. Yeah, that's the hand-eye coordination, though. Like, that's really no joke. You can't pause. So, <laughs> got to stay with it. Totally. Yeah, my kid took so many semesters of racket sports in high school. They told him he had to stop because he was, like, maxed out of credit. It was, like, all he wanted to do in high school was table tennis or actual tennis or racquetball there's a lot of options with rackets right but eventually they were like sorry buddy you've got the phd <laughs> you're done <laughs> reason i bring up table tennis i uh whenever i pass through chinatown in national district i see like the elders playing in the pagoda and i'm like dang they're real good <laughs> yeah i'm a little intimidated um you know, but I also kind of want to watch. I'll be like, <laughs> yeah, sure. just playing out there in the park. Maybe yeah. that's what we should do with our social forum room at C2C. You know, mm. I mean, a ping pong table can be pretty big, but I think they have like partial size ones. <laughs> I would change the change the vibe in there considerably, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so fun to talk to you both. And hey, I don't know if either of you know this because the information is hard to find, but like, do we expect, because today the smoke is not so bad, right? I think this has to do with changing wind patterns. Have you all heard anything about like what the week's going to look like out there or just wait and see? I know. Uh, I mean, there's a big wildfire near Index. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how long that one's going to last or if it's going to spur on. I know in Yakima, there was also like, they called it like a red flag alert mm. uh, where there was high winds. There's going to be like thunderstorms and like high probability of more wildfires. So who knows? I mean, I know PSC also, Puget Sound Energy is like shutting off power because they're like really not prepared for anything like this. So, you know, on top of the climate and the wildfires, there's like also possible shutoffs. And if you're living in areas with extreme heat and you need air conditioning, it could get very, very difficult. So, yeah. Um, I mean, as of yesterday, the most recent update I could find was 2 p.m. yesterday. It was 0% contained, 7,600 acres so far have burned, and it jumped the highway. So um, U.S. Highway 2, which is east of Index. Mm -hmm. um, so I know people were being evacuated, and like 0% contained is like, that's pretty grim, right? <laughs> um, so hopefully they'll be able to handle that. But yeah, people do need at this point, like power for all kinds of things, refrigeration and um, just to keep their lives going. So um, I hope that something changes there. Uh, 
but yeah, for today in Whatcom Skagit County, it is a little bit safer um, to breathe anyway. What about King County, Jill? Um, I mean, there was a little bit of rain, um, honestly, so it kind of helped. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a little cooler as well. Um, the nice. sky's a little bit clearer, but, you know, still recovering. I mean, um, yeah, I, I not, could we could use a lot more rain. Um, so hopefully hoping for more rain soon to wash this away. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but this sounds like an emergency to me. And I hear that people are being evacuated or losing power. You know, I, I think about folks with medical um, conditions, you know, and their, how are they going to power their medical equipment? Um, it's really concerning. Uh, hey, Jay, if you're listening, <laughs> call, call an emergency, please. Um, yeah. yeah. And some kind of coordinated effort to help communities know, you know, how to handle these things, because we're really just making it up as we go along. And I think that in general, communities do pretty well taking care of themselves. But if there were resources or even like a place to meet, if your community is evacuated, those kinds of things, um, like you said, it's not readily available. You kind of have. I was on my uh, social media, you know, like on Facebook, it shows you your memories. Like, and I remember I was like, I like looked at, um, I think it was like two days ago or something. I can't remember, but it was uh, when in 2020, I was still in Yakima at that time. Um, and it was the time where there was wildfires kind of like in the Brewster area and uh, where there was like hundreds of H2A workers that were just thrown into a park by their employer. And like in the middle of the night, they got taken away from their housing, left all their belongings and their like labor camps and then driven to some park in Brewster and thrown there and left. Um, and so the community there was like, who are all these people? First of all, and why are they there? And the community came together and like found out that it was like some employer had just dropped them off with no blankets, no food no nothing. So they, um, they took it upon themselves to like feed and house all the people. Um, and again, it was during COVID. So it was difficult, like finding adequate space for everyone. So, yeah, I just remember like all that stuff, like the how wildfires can can um, really take a tremendous toll, especially if you're like not taking it seriously or unprepared. Yeah. Well, I wonder whatever happened. Did you ever find out? Did those workers just get sent back to their home countries or? <laughs> they actually had to go back to work. Oh, like man. even while they were like like houseless, uh, their employer would still come by and like try to pick them up to go to work. Oh, that's awful! Wow. But yeah, the, um, I don't know if our lawyers followed up with them, but yeah, at that time we were just kind of like really in the midst of like all the stuff that was happening in Yakima, so we couldn't really follow up too much. Yeah, it was just a disgrace, though. It's like, come on. Yeah, it's so awful. I mean, that's a, yet another example of why the H2A program is not a good solution for workers or communities, too, because it's cool that community rallied around folks, but um, that's not a viable option in most cases. So, um, but hey, if people, if workers um, in our area, Whatcom Skagit, need masks, um, how can they, uh, in the meantime, until we get some rules and protection for workers, um, what what does FUJ recommend if people need that kind of 
resource? Um, well, they could always come by here, our office, or send us a message through social media, reach out to us. Um, we have lots of masks. Um, um, if you're working, your employer's supposed to have masks, but who knows if they're giving them out or not. And if they're not, then um, that's a problem. But if people want to get their own masks, um, we have we have some available. And I think the promotoras here in Skagit also have have masks and the N95 ones. I think folks can also reach out to some of the front and centered uh, organizations if they need um, fil air filters and fans. Um, I know that um, we had a bunch donated to us and have some in stock. So um, that's a, another way to kind of clean up the air in your house. Um, and a lot of people don't know this, but those filters don't last very long. I think the at most 90 days. And so it's important to change your filter. Um, so, yeah. And if you have a, a stockpile of them, please help um, distribute them to the community because, um, yeah, indoor air quality is, is, is so needed that that also um, affects people's uh, breathing um, and health. And, you know, um, even when there isn't uh, wildfire smoke, um, people are developing asthma and respiratory problems because of indoor um, indoor air pollution. So let's uh, let's get those filters out and turn them on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks both for joining in on this discussion. I sure do appreciate it. And I hope that your, um, your asthma mellows out over the next few days, Jill. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> good to see y'all. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Yo. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can comprehend You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and get here today Picket lines and picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see Oh, but who would they judge us? 
Talk to me, you can see what's going on. 